I have to admit, I knew nothing about this story and I didn't know the name. And I was drawn in by actually your storytelling, your way of telling the story, which was, uh, to say the least, I would call it very quirky and original. First of all, what made you want to make the film and why did you call it the Bentwich Syndrome? I'm usually a fiction director, but uh, I was just after finishing a fiction film, which takes a lot of energy and you, you, you finish it, you really want to rest. And I was saying, well, I'm too lazy to make another one now. What am I going to do with this life? And then um, there was always this thing about why don't you make a film about your family? People that know the family keep saying, oh, you're in the film industry, so why don't you make a film about your family? And it always seemed like a very boring thing to do. And uh, I don't know what the word for it is in English. People that are very interested in themselves. Self-obsessed, let's call it. Self-obsessed or narcissistic. So I always had this repulsion against making this movie because uh, I thought I'd be as silly as all my forefathers were write, writing all those biographies. But then yeah, somehow you reach an age where you say, damn it, you know, so why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm still not sure, you know, there's this cliche about when you have kids, then you realize you your family is more important. So I could use that cliche. I also had two heart attacks. There's, there's also another cliche about uh, when you realize you're reaching the end, this is a good time to deal with your past. I don't so much identify with any of those cliches, but... Um, I just suddenly felt right. After many years, that it felt like a very lame thing to do. It suddenly felt right. Maybe that's why you take such um, a dry, ironic, very honest look at the family. Because, you, you know, you say you think it's a lame thing to do. Let's just nail what the Bentwich syndrome is. You say you've invented this syndrome. You explain what it is, because I think we should do that first. I thought... I'd make up this dictionary entry. Yeah, I'd make up this entry in a dictionary which will give what I think about the family, this kind of official uh, official look or academic uh, reality feel for it. And it says uh, a syndrome that causes a group of people to take themselves seriously and to believe they are much more important <laughs> to life the, to the humankind than they really are and being a group boosting it up in a group and then I of, of course I said that it's called it's based called after the Bedwitch family and blah 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 and then I went on to talk about the family because all the time people say oh what did your family do you're so famous and I said I'm not sure they did so much they they were working at feeling very proud of being famous so I think that was their main main thing and doing was the secondary thing. I, well, but maybe I'm not fair. I want to say that maybe I'm not fair with them. So I want to apologize also. Right, well, me. maybe a good thing to do. Actually, I think maybe you've almost given your family a Monty Python feel. It's one of these big innovations of how you tell the story, this amazing family, which basically you're a, a dynasty, but it's really because um, one particular member of the family, the, the central member of the family, um, Herbert, had 11 children. Oh. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Having 11 children. Because, and yet, not that many of them having grandchildren. So that, that, that's a sort of 
um, dichotomy is such a big word, isn't it? Um, but you know, you think, oh well, if you've got eleven children, there'll be masses and masses of grandchildren. But you explain carefully, you go into the life of each of these people and, and how they have made a difference to the planet or not, particularly to Jewish life in in Britain and also to the establishment of Zionism and, and life in Israel. Because you've been, it has been an influential family, you can't deny that, can you? So that's the story you're telling, about, but about a dysfunctional family, very dysfunctional during yeah. you know, the last hundred years or so. So that that's anyway that's what I've brought away from it. Do you think that's right? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with the way you describe the film. I think first of all about the Monty Python feel, it's part of it. It's obviously the animation, mm. which uh, it takes a big deal of the film. Like even I think like third of the time is animation, like a big chunk, which I didn't totally plan in advance. It like grew on me as we edited, and the animation animator is my friend. And we had a great time. We saw it's, it's coming out great. And then we had some more money. So we just kept on um, putting more and more animation and, and enjoying ourselves more and more. And when we thought what kind of animation we're going to make, because it's all based on old pictures. I have loads of old pictures of the family. But, you know, watching those films where you do dissolves between all those old pictures is such a bore. Usually it puts you into the mood of, all those historic films of dissolves. And then we said, we can't leave it like this. We have to do something with the pictures. And that's when we came with the idea of doing cutout animation, which is to use those pictures and cut them and then start moving them around. And then we said, that would be great because this is also kind of, give, takes us to like this Monty Python style. And since the film is half British anyway, it's kind of a good uh, thing to be giving it a British feel. I think people kind of uh, relate Monty Python to British culture, and obviously it is connected. So that's why the animation is, is yeah, bringing you halfway to Monty Python, half on purpose and half just because this is the material we had and this is what we could do with it. Well, I think it's a masterstroke because it really takes you into it. So that, that, I think, is why my husband started by thinking it couldn't be for real. Or maybe you've invented a new form, the comedy drama documentary, but that's actually not a spoof because that's what he thought. Oh, well, it must be a spoof. But, you know, it's terribly engaging that you don't take yourself seriously. And I just think the animation is a, a, a genius masterstroke to take one through the story because you immediately, you've got a style. And we know you're, you are taking yourself seriously, but not too seriously. So I hope your family, dead or alive, have forgiven you for that. But I think they should. Well, I'm lucky the film came out now and not 50 years ago when all those geezers was around. They would probably, <laughs> they would probably kill me. I'm kind mm. of sure they would have killed me. But these days, you know, most of them are dead. Mm. And only the grandkids are around. And most of them are less fanatic about the family reputation. Although I must confess there's still some crazy folk around in my family, which still very much got pissed. They have all those, they want to, especially the one that hide all the suicide stories mm. and uh, getting uh, mad stories. I don't know why they think maybe it's, it's um, gonna um, ruin the chances of their kids to get married if they know the genes are kind of quirky or something. Mm. But they're still trying to hide some of the... Um, so some, very few got really mad and the rest kind of 
try to understand the humor and since they like me and they don't have much of a choice <laughs> they they kind of accepted the film and by the way in a way you know the film is okay it's very ironic and taking the laugh on laughing on the family but it's also putting the family in in the light you know so and in spotlight. that's mm. that's part of the syndrome right to mm. talk about the family and make it famous again so in a way I'm also working for them and not only against them I'm also mm. helping them with the reputation of the family so I yes. guess I'm a double how do you say it when you're a double spy working for both oh, sides double, yes. double, agent. double agent yes I suppose yeah, you yeah. are that's so a very I'm good way of putting it yeah well I'm so interested in the stars I want to come back to that in a minute so that people can get a sort of taste of what they're in for but whilst we're on the family there's so many women that you put under this spotlight and some of those are the ones who did have very sad lives. I mean, I suppose perhaps today they wouldn't have had such sad lives, um, partly down to the fact that um, Herbert was so dictatorial, I think, and it's hard to be part of a big family, but there weren't so many successful marriages, and as you say, there, there were these very sad suicides, and just this one wonderful woman who managed to... How you can manage to run away, become Christian, become a nun and a lesbian, that one I thought you definitely couldn't make up. It was a splendid character. Remind me the name of the wonderful uh, lesbian that one, nun. That one was Dorothy. Yeah. Which which is the most unliked person in the family. <laughs> kind of, she, 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 I think she didn't come up lovable like the rest, and she wasn't like extremely talented on the piano or anything. But I think in a way that even leaving the family and becoming a Christian and a lesbian in a way is part of the family tradition. Because if the family, <laughs> if the family tradition is based on uh, uh, giving a bad time to everybody around you, so like she, she did it uh, tremendously well, I guess. So even by doing all this, she didn't really manage to escape the family with, I think, oh. but stayed a part of it. Her shade will be wringing her hands as you speak. She's failed. <laughs> Let's just talk about this style. There's more to it than just cartoons. The other really big decision you made is to involve your family completely from the word go. Your very savvy, um, articulate daughter and your toddler son, who is he is certainly noisy I'm not, and he will be by now probably very articulate, but um, you don't edit out him crawling around and crying in the background, not ever. So, and your wife, your fantastically supportive wife. Yeah, she's part of the film. She's also, she shot the film, she edited the film, and like, like we're partners in this film. Yes. It's not like my film, it's our film. The thing is, when I came to make the documentary, I'm, mm. I'm not good in conceptual thoughts, you know? In, mm. So, like, there's, there's some directors, they can say, I have this concept, I'm going to shoot only wide angles and, you know, mm. and stuff like that. And I'm not good in that because I'm more of an anarchist, so I don't want to rely on any concept. So, but, so the only decision I made before going to shoot, I didn't know what it's going to be and didn't have anything in mind. I said, let's see what happens. But I did say only one thing, let's bring in the kids and shove them in the frame. Mm. Because first, like, you can't make a film about people that died a hundred years ago without it being very lifeless. Mm. So sho shoving your kids and family in the frame does add a lot of life because the rest of them are all dead. And second of all, my kids and myself, 
we're all bandwitches too. So if we're checking out <laughs> the syndrome, I think we, we can check ourselves while we're at it and see how much of the syndrome we have too. That's why like this was my excuse to put mm. them in the frame. Well, Last, they were there. I so. didn't have anything else to do with them. It was summertime, so I had to take them <laughs> along anyway. So it was also very practical. Yeah. They turned out for the best because I think most of the scenes without them would have become much more dry. There would be more time for information, but mm. the, the groove would have been lost. No, no, the groove was wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I, yes, I do realise that your wife was the filmmaker, but I did feel it was your decision. She did spend a lot more time picking up toddlers and things like that. I mean, I realise that she's totally your partner, but I don't know what she made of. How is she supposed to be a cameraman and all the other things you wanted her to be and scoop up children? If you see what I mean. Oh, she's a multi-talent. Yes. She, by the way, thinks she didn't come out that nice in the film and like she's. I'm not sure what's the expression for, uh, you know, those moms which carry on, carry the kids around and have this sulky face, like life being too hard for them. So she thinks she a bit looks that way. I try to cheer up and say it's not true, but um, she'll have to believe me. No, I think she comes out of it as a heroine, you can tell her that for me. I don't think I could have done all the things she did when I could think how long it took to shoot. She said it, the, the month we did in London was the worst month of her life. <laughs> and, and my daughter agrees. I, I think it was amazing. I enjoyed myself. Well, we're going to talk about that month in London as it comes over on the film, which had me really falling about laughing at times for the things that you did. So, but first of all, just to say, your, your daughter, you do top and tail the film with a visit to the Bentwich tomb. It's almost like a mausoleum in Jerusalem. There's this family graveyard mm. in Mount Scopus yes. in Jerusalem. Mount Scopus, yeah. yes. Obviously that's really iconic and important and central. But your daughter, I mean, I, you know, she's quite little. How old is she now? How old was she when you shot the film? I think she was seven then. Yeah, I mean, there's the wisdom of this seven-year-old, you know, uh, talking about death, which you would think was something quite scary. She's very savage. She's very frank about death. And I, I, I was most impressed with her. I mean, I realised that you've had brushes with death, and I suppose maybe she watched you have them. But, you know, she, she talked about <laughs> continuity and life and death in a way that I thought was beyond her years. That's, she's a great asset to your film, I have to say. I'm sure you Yeah, agree. yeah. Mm. That's why I keep saying everybody that sees the film tells mm. her, oh, you're so nice there. And she says, oh, it's a shitty film, it's boring, I don't <laughs> want to hear about it. <laughs> She, she's very rebellious as part of the Bedford syndrome. So I think that's she, brilliant. Obviously, the, the other other angle. But I'm very happy she came up with all those. Uh, I, it's, none of this I told her, obviously, to say. Yeah, it's all, uh, this is all true. Whatever she says is true. Oh, I could but, see that. I could. You, there's no way you'd prepped her. I could see that. What's her name? Tamara. 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 And give yeah. me all the names of everybody. Tamara and your son is called? Zohara. Zohara. It's like, like Zohar with an A. And, and your Maya, wife, and Maya, Maya is my lady. Maya's your my... lady. I like lady. She is a lady. Yes, a very clever lady. So that that's the structure that we've got. And then there's this really this dryness where you do an awful. We we used to have a program called Candid Camera in yeah. in, in England. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, yeah, there was a craze about it in Israel too. Yeah, many programs like that. Yeah, where you shoot of, of um, people and they don't know they're being shot, and you really go to town on the, uh, even down to having the most weird camera angles when you are genuinely undercover, actually undercover, 
really shouldn't be shooting. So we do see things, we see people's reactions, horrified reactions to you when you're asking for information or asking for entry to places, um, particularly there was a woman who didn't want you to come in at all, wasn't there? That was in Trinity College in mm. Cambridge. Yeah, well, that was so funny. And um, the man who was showing you round, what was he, he called? He was terrible. He was terrible. It's called Porter. It's Porter, Porter yeah. yeah. I do want to apologise, though, for, mm. for one person. Because there was one person I really feel uh, uneasy about what we did with him. And his name is Ivan. And he he's the shamash At the synagogue. The, at the Hampstead Synagogue, which my grandfather was part, uh, one of the um, founders. founders, the founders, mm. yeah. Mm. I think he, there we did him an un, un, unfair editing, you know, editing you mm. can invent anything, mm. because he was really very, very nice and friendly and hospitable, and uh, in the film, obviously, you see all all the anarchy we've done in the synagogue. And I don't think, I, I feel kind of, uh, I want to apologize to him if he sees the film, that uh, if he came out not as friendly as he was in real life, I apologize only for him. Well, let's just explain those two things. So the guy in Cambridge, yes, he, th these are people, um, porters, who are very subservient to the actual undergraduates because obviously they've got to give them the impression that they're very they're very superior and they're going to rule the world Cambridge graduates that's what they're for and you give a clear I think you know a load of Israelis turning up and going on about um, please show me around because my was it your, your great-grandfather is it yeah was there your grandfather also you? my yeah. father my father yeah, and your father yes yeah. so okay he was unfortunately was not impressed by that he was more irritated by it and i'm not gonna be on the film and you can't show me and he, he does come over as curmudgeonly we have a word have you ever heard that word curmudgeonly no. very bad tempered not very helpful but you got what you wanted sort of but um you know i have some sympathy for him but not very much the other guy ivan no i you don't show ivan in the light that you're talking about until you give him a reason for it. You show him as reacting to your daft questions and your interesting information that you're giving him. He's really amused and engaged. And it's but, only... But then suddenly he can't stand anymore all this chaos we're doing. Yeah, but, you know, your daughter's what's... doing cartwheels at that point and your son is suddenly starts screaming and even, you know, watching the film, you think, why don't they stop that child screaming? So we have sympathy with him. So I think Ivan... Yeah, OK. So I, so I thought, poor Ivan, now I can see what he really went through. <laughs> so I so think it's OK. he's not going to be offended if he sees the film? I don't think so, because we really find out quite, you know, quite, he was, he's quite surprised to hear about... Um, your great-grandfather and, and his role in the synagogue. And I mean, I was surprised. So, you know, I think it's really important to show him getting religion, you know, as, as, as a pillar of the establishment, and now he's a pillar of Judaism as well because he's establishing this important synagogue in Hampstead. Yeah, I think that's very important. And then seeing him kicked out, of, that's the fun part. Yes. That, yeah, that he's not only this uh, prominent Jew, he's also... Mm this anarchist which gets kicked out from all places that he's started. So. Yes, particularly the synagogue, yes. So, but, but that was his fault, wasn't it? And I explain what he did to get kicked out. Oh, another expression, English expression, showing something warts and all. You show your family with all its warts, do you understand? You know? well, yeah, yeah, warts yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm talking about all the generations, including the current ones, you don't hold back on anyone, including yourself. So I think that's very honest. 
and we, we know what Ivan went through, but just tell everybody, well, just give us a, a tiny clue about, you know, how difficult um, Herbert was with the synagogue, so why he would get thrown out like that. I think, uh, first of all, he didn't get thrown out only from synagogue, he mm. got thrown out of the Zionism uh, leadership. Mm. He got thrown out even, <laughs> this I don't say in the film because there was not enough space, but the, the, the law firm that he opened, he was actually kicked out of the law firm that he opened. So he was a serial kicked out, kicked out person. <laughs> and, and this is also part of the syndrome. Mm. And I think it's in his case, he's very sure that only he is right. Mm. And everybody should understand that his way is the best way and follow his way. And if somebody kind of things differently, then he's never going to get along with them. I think this is kind of a stubbornness. I actually sometimes think, you know, this part of autism, which is called Asperger? Yes. How do you call it? Asperger's syndrome. Syndrome, syndrome, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a syndrome too. And I think because this uh, um, thing of being thrown out of places is, is part of the syndrome, it's not only Herbert, it's all his kids and grandkids that also get to be not part of the society but kicked out of it once in a while i think in a way we have this uh, some kind of aspergerism in us meaning mm. we don't really know how to socially get along with other people without kind of uh, making a mess i mean you do say when you look at the you know the history of zionism and the first great zionist conferences and all the rest of it the assembly um his name and his photograph aren't quite there, and that, that that's your explanation as to why, because he was quite important, um, but he's not there next to Herzl and all the rest of it, is he? And incidentally, my, my um, father and my uncle were called, my father was called Theodore after Herzl, uh, my uncle was called Vivian after Heim Herzog. But so nobody, maybe nobody got called Herbert after Herbert Ventwich because nobody of that. Yes. Not the street. Not the street in uh, Yeah, that you the, show, that's so sad. No street in Israel no. called Bentwich Street. But I also want to say, so it doesn't seem like I really think he's so important. I think most of the people, this is their experience from life. It's not so much about our family being so unique. I think we are the, the silent the uh, uh, majority, the people that, um, you know, walked through history and, no, and never got to be, um, to get the snapshot and be in the front and then going back home and saying, ah, it should have been us. I think everybody has this kind of experience with life that we, we never got to be those, you know, um, major I'll never be a major filmmaker major. and make it mm. to Cannes. You'll never mm. be a famous journalist and write in the Times. We're all kind of, kind of, uh, most of us have this uh, experience of life in a way. So I, I don't think it's so special, but um, I don't know. I can relate to it. I don't know mm. if you can, but... Um, I'm afraid I can, yes, completely. Yes, sometimes <laughs> other people's achievements make you feel smaller, so... Maybe yeah, everyone should go and see this film, it will make them feel better, that's possible. <laughs> Although, having said that, there are lots of achievements, you know, things that they've set up in Israel and so forth, and come, you, you, you really mustn't do down your own achievements as a family of filmmakers. I mean, you've, you've achieved a great deal, but I, I just think, yes, um, the modesty is 
very attractive. It's very disarming, I would say. So I, I think it's a very disarming film as, as well. And the other thing that you do is, I mean, we're talking about people who want to be the great and the good and whether they achieve that or not. But the, you do manage to engage with um, the great and the good. There are, um, it's the Israeli ambassador, isn't it, that you managed to, um, Daniel Tarb it was at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, you, it was. It's yeah. not now because I called, I yeah, wanted to invite recalled. him for the screening, but I realized yeah. he's not there. No, now. he's not here he now. Was very, he was very nice to us, yes. very friendly, which is really nice. And we must explain that's because it's a house in St. John's Wood and it's the ambassadorial <laughs> residence, uh, which turns out to be a, an old family home of yours. and. It's lovely. You go, actually, this is another beautiful spread that you go looking, and I think a lot of people do go looking for houses where they used to live. And there's an absolutely brilliantly funny, one of my favourite bits of the film is where you're sitting on the steps of this woman's house yeah. and she, she comes out and says, what do you want? And you say, well, we, we my, my family used to live here. I've been here 40 years and I haven't seen them. No, no, that was back in 1880. And she sort of rolls her eye and goes back inside, obviously deciding you're all mad and rather threatening. When you get the completely opposite reaction when you go to uh, uh, meet Daniel Taub and he has you in for tea and it's lovely. And that, so I love that. I was astonished to discover, now remind me which one of the family was the personal advisor to Haile Selassie, initiated the kinder transport. You know, that's not uh, a footnote yeah. in history, is it? But no, this he, man he was, was important. He, yeah, he was, I guess, the the, man, the serious guy in the family, the, yeah. the well, one that did a lot. And his name, his was... name is Norman, Norman mm. Bedwich. He was the eldest son. There were only two sons from all the 11, the batch of 11, there was only two sons. Even my granddad, which was the youngest, was a woman, but he actually was, yeah, he was also the attorney from the mandate. He was the attorney general, how do you call this? Uh, in Israel? Yes, yes. The, An Arab attempted to assassinate him and then he defended him. I mean, what a, he sounds wonderful. He sounds like a, the, yeah, a he, new film just about this one man. Quite, you see, he had, he, was, he had so many things we had to tell about him and we couldn't figure out because he needs a, his own film. That's why we, we made him run to all his animation mm. because they used to call him Quick Quick Bench, which that's why we made him do all those things so, so fast. Because he had loads of stuff yes. we had to tell about him, like the Hebrew University and Haida Selassie and being the Attorney General of the Mandate and all this other stuff. So we had to do it. And it's true about him. He did everything really, really fast. Mm. But anyway, his name was Norman Bedwich. Mm. And the story about this Arab that tried to assassinate him, this might be one of the only parts, I don't know if I should tell it or not, in this film that only after we finished, we realized it's not, perhaps it's only an urban legend or family oh, myth. Oh. The thing that he, 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 how do you say that? He Fem was protecting this assassin in court. Yeah, defending. Defending, defending, mm. yeah. Because we, my sister, which you saw there, which was doing all the research, mm. called up the historian that wrote this fact because we took it from a book. We didn't make it up. And she asked him, how does he, where did he get the fact that he defended him in, on trial? And he said he had a researcher. And then she asked the researcher, where did he get this fact? Because she couldn't find any paper. And the researcher said that an aunt of mine gave him this information. So I say it, it might be that uh, this story is a family. Oh, right. that might not slipped, be true. But he was. Slipped, but it slipped mm. into history. So mm. for, for now, it's true history because it's written mm. in the books. Yeah. So I'm, 
I'm fine with it. Well, I, I think it's a wonderful story. But anyway, if he helped initiate the kinder transport, he's a major player, isn't he? Over here, that's very important. I think then he was, and uh, later he was kicked out again. Him too was kicked out, but he was kicked out from everywhere. I think more because of his. He was very, very left wing, mm -hmm. extremely left wing. There was, and I think uh, Zionism wasn't very tolerable. I'm not sure how tolerable it is today, but it wasn't very tolerable to very left wing people back mm. in the days. Mm. So that's why he kind of was um, ignored mm. later mm. because of his uh, left wingness. Mm. Well, anyway, just there again, we go back to your style, and you, you're, you're, you know, inspired by the idea that the man did a lot, very fast, calling him, and was called Quick Bentwich. It was very clever of you. Um, and another inspired decision, you know, to, to fit him in by doing everything very fast, um, slightly sending him up, but why not? You top and tail the film, as we said, with two things, actually. One with the, with the graveyard scenes, which I want to come back to, um, and also with one of your relatives, uh, is it a cousin who's a lifeguard? And I love that because we're going to talk about all these great and good people in Edwardian clothes and we're going to Cambridge and we're going to the ambassadorial residence, etc, etc, etc. But this man is a lifeguard and that's such a down-to-earth thing to be. Um, and, and we hear from him quite a lot at the beginning, quite a lot at the end. And then we go back to your wonderful daughter in the graveyard again as well. Well, the whole family, but, you know, I'm very taken with Tamara, as you gather. And, and I just think it's a very shapely film. So... That cousin was important to you. Is it a cousin? Is that right? He's a cousin? He's a cousin of mm. mine. He's, he's like the closest cousin of mine, like also mm. in the age, but I'm also, he's my best friend in the family. Yes. That comes and he in. was also used to be, I used to call him my ambassador to the family because for many <laughs> years I wasn't in contact with the family mm. so much. And he was my ambassador. He would call me and tell me what's happening and invite me to things, although I never went. Mm. And the funny thing about him that he's on one hand he's a lifeguard, which means he didn't make it so-called in the Bentwich uh, hierarchy to be one of those hotshots. But as far as he's concerned, he's the most Bentwich of all as far as believing the family myth and taking it seriously. So he's totally into it. So it's kind of very ironic that he's a lifeguard, and as he confesses, a very unbentwich. Uh, profession but he himself totally believed the Bentwich myth so I like this kind of uh, contradiction he carries mm. within himself mm. being both sides of the both sides of the syndrome in one person which mm. is and he's a nice person too well so, that all all comes over in the film so um I you know, hope anyone listening will realise how incredibly engaging it is. And I also hope that your family won't ostracise you as a result of it all. Um, so apart, apart from not being ostracised by the family, I mean, what, how has it been received so far and what would you like people to take away from it? It, was, it showed in Israel, it showed also on TV already and in the Tel Aviv cinema. It ran commercially for a while. I actually got... it's. I got very good responses for it, and you know, we directors, we are suckers of good of compliments. This is what we're in for. <laughs> of course, of course. The more, the better. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what I expect from a movie. Basically, it's like you put in a lot of energy and love, and you hope to get it back from the audiences. And this film kind of gave me quite a lot of love back, which was surprising because I never thought a film about your family can talk to so many other people. But I guess everybody's family is kind of. It reminds them, it reminds many people of their families. 
that was enough for me. I'm all satisfied with it by now. And what else can you expect from a film? Enjoying making it and uh, enjoying being received. Like, uh, that's a, as good as it gets, I guess, for me. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Gerd Bentwich, for talking to me. And I love your name because it brings together Israel and Britain beautifully, doesn't it, Gerd Bentwich? Thank you very much, too. It was a pleasure.